You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. Good to see you guys. A little late. We're a little late today, both on the, the crowd size and the response. Now that everybody's seated, would you please stand? Dan, if you'll come to the mic. Believe me, the denomination I grew up in, you sat, you knelt, you standed. You stood, you stood, you knelt, you sat. It was constantly up and down. Dan's going to read for us Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19, or 3 through 19. What did I give you? 1 through 19. About the time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church, he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed. And put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and the servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You are out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He mentioned, he motioned for them to quiet down, 
and told them how the Lord had led them, led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Sisera for a while. Thank you, Dan. May the Lord anoint his word to us today. You may be seated. Double energy today. There has to be double energy. We weren't here last week. There's some good stuff in here for amens and preach it, brother, if you're so inclined. There's so much that God wants to say. Please put on your listening ears. Here's one thing right off the bat. This is an old truth. You've heard this before. What you're going to hear today, you you have heard many times before. And it's always important. But it's even rising to a higher level of importance as we move into 2022 and beyond for the church. I'm convinced this is a word from the Lord to the church today for 2022. No, I don't, I don't have anything written down in a notebook like I have a word from the Lord. I just believe that what he wants to say today is a word from the Lord to the church. Very, very important. So I'm going to be challenging you throughout the message to be listening, to be looking up here, to not be distracted. Whenever God wants to say something important... The devil works overtime to distract us. And unfortunately, yeah, even in the church. So as we saw last time we were together, Acts 12, two weeks ago, Luke's focus again shifts to Jerusalem and the church in Jerusalem for one chapter. And seemingly only to inform us of two incidents. And then now we're going to start in chapter 13, we're going to start moving into the ends of the world. But we're one last focus on Jerusalem and the Jerusalem church. Two incidents James wants us to know about. The death of the, or, or Luke wants us to know about. The death of the Apostle James. We covered that. The arrest and imprisonment of the Apostle Peter. Are you listening? Yeah. Acts 12, 3 and 4. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, the beheading of James... He also arrested Peter. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. Now, King Herod, he was sort of like the Roman governor over this part of the Roman Empire. It was just a small piece. He wasn't that big of a cog in the wheel in the Roman Empire, but he definitely wielded power and political clout over Jerusalem, over Israel, over that area he was assigned. His primary goal was to be popular with the Jewish people. Because Jewish people don't really like being ruled by Roman governors. He didn't want an insurrection, a Jewish insurrection on his watch. That would not be good for his political career. So he took a chance, and he began persecuting the Christian church. 
and he had James the Apostle killed, and then he watched for the population's response to that. What would their reaction be? And when he saw how much it pleased them, feeling his oats and strengthened by that, now he arrested and had the kingpin imprisoned, the Apostle Peter, placing him under four under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each, 16 elite guards assigned to watch Peter. Doesn't that seem like overkill? Herod had probably heard of Peter's reputation, right? Miraculously healing people. Remember, even if his shadow fell on people, they were healed. I'd like to see some of that, wouldn't you? Doesn't even have to be my shadow. I don't care whose shadow it is, but we got sick people. Not, not in here. You know, praise the Lord. Right now, as far as I know, we don't, we're a healthy congregation. The last three people that I knew of that were sick have texted me and said they're better. But we need healing ministry. Our nation and the world is reeling from sickness and pestilence. This is not of God. This is not God's will. Don't be deceived. God is a God of health, healing, life, not sickness, death, and destruction. And whenever you hear sickness, death, and destruction spoken out, stand against that curse and declare there's health, there's healing, there's life in Jesus, and that's his will. But anyhow, Herod probably had heard of Peter's reputation, healing people, raising people from the dead, other supernatural stuff like mighty rushing winds, tongues of fire, building shaking, Acts chapter 4. He knew Peter was an intimate follower of Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the rumor going around was that this Jesus had raised from the dead. So, better keep an eye on this Peter fellow. Four squads of four guards. Herod was not taking any chances that Peter would escape. And here's where I believe God wants to speak to us today. Are you listening? Here's the problem. Herod underestimated Peter's God. Can you say amen to that? But I want to pause here for application because honestly, and you know where I'm going to go with this, right? I'm concerned that many in the church today also underestimate Peter's God. Who, of course, is our God, too. We love God. We strive to trust and obey Him. We really do. But in reality, we do not really expect much of God or from God. Even despite what He's been saying to us lately regarding what He's about to do. The world, the flesh, and the devil have stolen our expectation Say amen if you mean it. The world, the flesh, and the devil have stolen the church's expectation of our God. Amen. We know we're saved by faith. We know we're going to heaven, and that's crucial, of course. That's the bottom line. If you've gotten to that point, you're doing good. But there's so much more. There's better and best yet above that. Above just knowing you're saved and going to heaven. And my personal opinion is we're not experiencing that in the church today. Not much. 
certain pockets. So we know we're saved. We know we're going to heaven. Good for us, and I mean that. But for the most part, we really do not expect God to move mightily, especially when it comes to us on our behalf or in our midst. I was telling the Tuesday night group, the discussion group, I may have told the leadership team, I'm not sure, but I've been given an assignment from the Lord. And it's a daunting assignment. The assignment is to encourage and excite the church for what God wants to do in 2022. That's an assignment that I'm carrying for the last several weeks, pretty much since I got out of the hospital. I need to excite the church, or at least God's telling me I need to try. It's, the results are not on me. I just have to be obedient to the assignment. To excite the church for what he wants to do in 2022. It's crucial that the church is excited and that the church is on board. We think God will just do whatever he wants, and he can, but he works through the church. And he's desperately pleading with his people to get excited and to expect and to anticipate. I have found when I try to encourage when I try to encourage people that God is already and he is about to move mightily in these days that there's this coming glorious move of God in our nation and on the earth that may supersede any previous move that may take all the previous moves and revivals and roll them into one and be greater than them a last time massive global harvest when I try to tell people that I can see by their expression they want to believe it's true. Most believers want to believe that that's true. But they're not convinced. They're doubtful. Some outright refuse to believe. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil have stolen our expectation. Have beaten us down. That's our fault. They don't have the power to do that. But they have done that. This is a serious problem. Unbelief. Not believing God's promises, not, not believing what God's saying, not expecting, not anticipating. Unbelief seriously hinders God from working. Remember the verse, and Jesus could, could not do many miracles there because of their what? Their unbelief. He was hindered. He was hamstrung. He couldn't work. He had to leave that area and go elsewhere where the people would believe. How would you like that to be the testimony of this church? I couldn't work there like I wanted to because of your unbelief. I had to leave and find other churches where I could work. Yeah, that'll kill you, won't it? Now listen to this. This is, this is huge. This is huge stuff that God wants to speak to us about. There's some ouchy stuff in here. Unbelief is often why, even as believers, we are at times so negative and so pessimistic. It's because of unbelief. We think we're at the mercy of our situations. 
we think that fate is calling the shots, so to speak. You with me? Unbelief steals our hope and our joy. And one of the most discouraging things that there is, to me, is a hopeless, joyless Christian. What's attractive about that? Why would I want to be like you if that's you? Why would, why would anyone want to be like me if that's me? I'm negative, I'm pessimistic, I'm complaining, I'm sick, just like all the rest of the unbelievers. Why would they want what I have? Hopeless, joyless Christians, that's the antithesis of the picture Scripture paints of true believers. Let's get back to the story, though. James is dead. Peter's locked down in prison. He should be dead by this time tomorrow. That was Herod's intention. This particular group of believers, they had every right to be in unbelief. They had every right to be negative and to be pessimistic, to be discouraged. But look what happens next. The title of the message today is Jailbreak in Jerusalem. What do you think? Make a good book title. Good movie. Make sure I get some royalties, okay, if you use it. Acts 12, 6 through 10. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. And the angel said, get up. Then the chains fell off his wrist. The angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals, put on your coat, follow me. So Peter left the cell following the angel. They passed the first and second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't you like to see some of that stuff? I'd love to actually preach on that, but that's not what God wants to say today. What God wants to say is something much more mundane than angelic appearances and gates opening by themselves. I thought that's where we were going to go. But that is not what God has in mind today. So they passed through and they started walking down the street. Then the angel suddenly left him. So, wow, angelic breakout at the Jerusalem jail. Did we mention four squads of four soldiers each? Sixteen elite troops guarding Peter? Well, no problem for God. As we said, Herod totally underestimated Peter's God. Herod did not know who he was up against. Herod was no match for Peter's God, nor Herod's prison, nor his guards. I want to pause again for application. Are you listening? Yeah. Sitting upright? You on the edge of your seat pretty much? I don't know what exactly you are facing today. I don't know your situation or your circumstance. I got enough with my own. You know what I mean? What you're facing may seem very much impossible. There's no way. But I can tell you flat out, our God is a way maker. Amen. Remember the Red Sea? There was no way there either. And God actually set that up so there'd be no way so he could move. Did you ever give a thought 
that those negative situations and circumstances in your life, which we are blaming on the devil, and maybe he's doing it, but it's actually God orchestrating it to set you up so he can move mightily in your circumstances, that's not usually our first thought. Nothing is too difficult for our God. Your situation, your circumstances, no matter what they are, no match for our God. They just try to make you think they are. And most of us buy that. Most of us really do buy that, that our situation and our circumstances are larger than God and beyond his ability to get us out of it. We know we're saved, we know we're going to heaven, but we don't expect much of God in the here and now. Come on. What? Come on. And yet we see here in Acts 12, God will go to great lengths to bring about his good, perfect, and acceptable will for his people. His people as a group, his people as an individual, Peter, his people, you and me. But we don't expect that. I don't expect that. God is willing to do even more for us on our behalf than you and I are willing to believe he'll do. Listen to this verse. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us and on our behalf to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You know, when David slipped pretty badly and had that affair with Bathsheba, when he finally repented, you know it took a year for him to finally repent of that, and his life totally fell apart during that year because he forfeited God's blessing and favor. But when he finally repented and he got before God, do you know what God said to him? Why did you have to go and take Uriah's wife? Don't you know that you could ask me for anything and I would give it to you? I want us to know that. Don't you know that you can ask God for anything and he will give it to you? He loves you that much? Uh, You know, granted, and I hope this group is mature enough to know, we're talking about in his will, not I want a million bucks or I want this car, but in his will and things that are good. Don't you know that I will give you everything? When the disciples were fretting about the kingdom, he said, be at peace and be still. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give you authority over the enemy, to give you healing powers. It's your father's good pleasure to give you all these kingdom things. We so often pray from a position of downtrodden rather than a position of victory. I love the verse that says, We're not praying. (laughs) Hold on a second. Let me get this. We're not praying for victory. We're praying out of victory. We already have the victory. We're enforcing it. But as I listen to most of our prayers on my own, that's not usually how we pray. We're usually pleading and begging and coaxing God to do something that we don't think he really wants to do in the first place. That's basically how we pray. Lord, would you heal this person? But down here, that's what's coming out of our mouth. But down here, we don't really expect it. Am I right? 
for the most part. Man, there's times when God releases faith, and isn't it awesome? You know. But for the most part, we're in that lowly estate as the church. God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. Ask me. I want, I delight to bestow these things upon you. Application. For us, I suspect for many of us, we underestimate our God. Listen, we underestimate who he is. We underestimate what he's capable of. And we especially underestimate what he's willing to do on our behalf. That's probably the biggest one and the biggest challenge. Thinking that he will move mightily on my behalf, in my situation, in my circumstance. You know, maybe for the guys in the Bible, okay. Maybe for some super saints today, okay. But for me... Are you listening? Be careful of distractions. Satan doesn't want you to hear this stuff. Be careful of distractions. So I want to move on. I want to change tracks here. Because I thought we would be looking more at this angelic appearance, the miraculous supernatural nature of the story. But I think God has something else he wants to cover and he wants to challenge us. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me, which was to kill him. And everybody knew that. There wasn't going to be a fair trial. It was just going to be a mock trial to sentence him to death. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were... Can you guess the topic God wants to speak to us about? And you've heard it before, haven't you? Justin tells us about it every week. Peter finally either wakes up or he finally realizes this isn't a dream or a vision or something. He realizes it's happening in real time. God has moved supernaturally, but he was probably pretty much used to that. But God has moved supernaturally, mightily on his behalf to deliver him from certain death. And when he finally realized that, where did he go? Where was the first place he went? To the prayer meeting. He went to the church prayer meeting. Don't overlook this. He went to where he knew he would find the church gathered praying. Despite all the other aspects of this account that we could cover, I think praying, prayer, Corporate prayer is actually the main focus of our message today. This is the thing God wants to bring to our attention. So I, I intentionally stopped, uh, skipped over verse 5. I want to go back to it. It's the key verse for us today. But while Peter was in prison... The church prayed very earnestly for him. God wants to focus today on the church praying. Very brief word study. The word that's used there for pray, it's a very common word for prayer. It's not something special. It's communication to God, and it's intended for one of two things. Anything that we ask for can be categorized under these two headings. It's the obtaining of good or it's the averting of evil. 
And that's what that word means. Communicating with God, intended for obtaining good, asking him for good or avert evil. So the obtaining of good, they were praying for the release of Peter and that God would spare his life. That happened. The averting of evil, they were praying that Herod would not be successful in his evil plans against the church. That also happened. We didn't read it, but at the end of chapter 12, Herod's gone. He dies. God removes him. I know, some pretty serious stuff, isn't it? You sort of say, be careful what you pray for, but I'm not going there. We're way too careful what we pray for. We need to become more emboldened and aggressive in what we're praying. And leave the chips with God. Leave the chips fall where they may. Leave it up to God. If this guy isn't willing to serve you and he's causing all this trouble, mm, This was effective praying that the church was doing, even though they didn't know it. I heard you, I think, laugh, Steve, when Dan read that one part that Rhoda said, Peter's at the door, and these pillars of the church are saying, you're crazy. We're praying for him to be released. He's in jail. They're like us, and we're like them, right? But this was effective praying, whatever they were doing. While all this was going on, in the midst of all this extreme adversity, James is dead. Peter is in jail. He'll be dead tomorrow. The church prayed earnestly. I'm guessing all else must have failed. And actually all else did fail. Because there was no way. See, there was no way they were getting Peter out of there. They weren't bringing James back. They weren't getting Peter out of there. Short of... Some supernatural divine intervention of God. Yeah? Application for us. You know, there's many, many that feel that's where we are in our nation today. There's going to be no relief. There's going to be no rescue. There's no, going to be no deliverance from the entrenched evil that is turning this nation away from God. Short of a supernatural divine intervention of God. Yeah, here's the rub. Can you believe for that? Can you get excited? Because God's going to do that. They needed God to intervene in their situation. The church prayed earnestly. We need God to intervene in our situation. So fill in the blank. What? They needed God to intervene in their situation. So they prayed earnestly. We need God to intervene in our situation, so we need to pray earnestly. That's our next word in this little, little bitty word study we're doing is earnestly. It means intense. It means fervent. It means without ceasing. It literally means to stretch out. Stretch out. Think of outstretched arms. Stretching your arms towards heaven. Your hands are raised towards heaven. Reaching towards the throne. Pleading for God to intervene. Not coaxing him to do something he doesn't want to do. But praying intensely because that's what brings about his will. To be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's intense, fervent, refusing to quit, refusing to give up prayer. It's all in type praying. If you've played sports, have you heard this saying? Leave it all on the field. How many of you have heard that? Or leave it all on the court. Which just simply means, hey, 
There's no holding back now. Let's leave it all out there. Don't bring anything back to the bench. Don't bring any reserve strength back to the bench. It's time to leave it all out there on the field or on the court. Go out and go till you can't go no more. It's, there's no tomorrow type thinking, praying. It all hangs right now in this moment. My own opinion, that's where we are on the world stage today. See you guys. Are you still with me? Listening? I'm sure that's what they were thinking as they prayed. James is already dead. They didn't see that coming. That hit them suddenly. That hit them unexpectedly. They were reeling from that. Now, Peter's in prison. He's next on Herod's hit list. We got to do something about this. What can we do? Four squads of four elite guards each. So they gathered together in earnest prayer. You know, that's not unusual for this church. Even though they fell into that crazy, ridiculous statement of, we're praying for Peter, he can't be here. He's in jail. Still, there was something about this church. They knew how to pray. And they gathered together to pray often. It says that Peter left this particular prayer meeting and went to another place because he was hot commodity. He could not stay in one place too long now that they realized he was out of jail. But the idea there is it can be he left the area completely, but it can also be he simply went to another place like this one, which means there were other, the church was praying in other parts of the city at the same time. Because, see, this church prayed. They prayed together. Yeah, there's a lot of power in our individual prayers. But there's something special when the church prays together in agreement that moves God. And we take that for granted. Gathering together with other believers for prayer is on the way bottom of our priority list. Where's the amen? Because that's true. Let me just refresh our memories on this church. Way back, Acts chapter 1, 14. Seems like forever ago since we were in Acts chapter 1. They all met together and they were constantly united in prayer. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women and the brothers of Jesus. Who had now finally, after the resurrection probably, become believers. Mary and his brothers. They were in a very similar situation. Jesus had been brutally crucified. James was dead, beheaded. Now, he did resurrect and appear to them, and that brought some comfort, but it it was just a stopgap measure because then he ascended into heaven, leaving them here alone on earth. Plus, those who were after Jesus, those who had crucified Jesus, were now after these guys. So what did they do? They gathered together constantly in prayer. It's almost the same word as earnestly. They gathered together in earnest prayer. That's what they did. 
It's not the only thing they did. But that's what they did. They prayed together. I'll tell you something else that that does. You're offended by a brother or sister in the church? Come to a prayer meeting and pray together, and your offense will disappear. Stay home, and it will fester. That's why the word for offense is if you're offended by somebody, go to them and talk to them. It's very hard to stay offended face to face. Come on, right? So praying together actually guards the unity of the church. It's a preventative measure for strife and division and offense. So many benefits to praying together. They gathered together the prayer. I'm back still in Acts chapter 1. There was 120 of them. They were believers. They were gathered, and they were constant in united prayer. And you know the rest of the story. Was that praying effective? Well, the Holy Spirit came upon them in great power while they were praying. The building shook. Winds, tongues of fire, um, then speaking in tongues. Then 3,000 saved off of that experience. Yeah, that was effective prayer. You know, the church, the church was born. Listen to me. The church was born praying together. And it was a top priority for this church in Acts. I'm hoping that at some point during this series, I can just lay out, do a a study on all the times praying and prayer is mentioned through the book of Acts. But that's not for today. The church prayed earnestly, and Peter was miraculously released from prison. The church prayed and God dispatched an angel to break Peter out of jail. Jailbreak in Jerusalem. Application. Something for us to think about. Meditate on. This might be new for many of us. And the thought is this. How our praying releases God's angel armies to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven. That gives it a whole new level of importance and excitement, doesn't it? I'm praying, and God's calling angels over and say, on Hub's prayer, I'm releasing you on assignment to do this or do that. I can just see angels all around our nation, all around whatever you want to picture, and they're just waiting for the church to pray so they can be released to do, bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And they're chomping at the bit to get out there and work for God. And they're limited because the church isn't praying. I'm not going to go into all the biblical support, but if you read Daniel, you can get a good feel for that. How can our, how might our praying release God's angel armies to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven? Those legions of angels just waiting to be released on assignment. And there is biblical support for that concept. Now, would Peter have been sprung if they hadn't prayed? What do you think? Would Peter have been sprung from jail if they hadn't prayed? Show of hands. How many say yes? How many say no? Well, the reality is we don't know. Maybe he would have been, maybe he wouldn't. But they did, and he was. That's the fact, right? They did, and he was.
One last verse. Jesus taught us about the power of praying together, taught his disciples, and then through that word to us way back. And Matthew, I have Acts 18. This is Matthew 18, sorry. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, that's prayer. Asking God for the obtaining of good, the averting of evil. That's prayer. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Power in agreement when the church is praying in God's will for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. More than we can ask or imagine. Justin is going to come. Band's going to come. While he's coming, I just want to, for some reason I skipped this or it wasn't in my notes, but I just want to do a little exercise for us. So stay settled. I mean, unless you're coming forward, stay settled. It's on this matter of unbelief, not for salvation. That's settled. Man, in this church, for the most part, salvation was settled a long time ago. We're talking about stuff way beyond getting saved, although that's very important. If we know somebody's not saved, we press that. But we're talking about what God wants to do with the saved. So you guys up there, well, when you get up there, still listen. A little activity I've been, I've been kind of involved in. In the Tuesday night group, we did it. In the leadership team, we did it. I feel I'm losing you, so I don't know if I want to go any further or not. Do you want to hear this or not? I'll go up and play. I don't care. Do you want to hear this? Guys settled? Can you hear me up there? Ron, will you turn on their monitor so they can hear me if, if they're not? It's a little activity to ask yourself something. Or I'll ask you, and you can only answer with one letter, and it has to be one of two letters. You can either be an O or you can be a P. I don't really want you to answer. I just want you to think about this. In a small group, we'd talk about it. But you can answer. You can be an O or you can be a P. Any guesses to what they are? If you were in one of those groups, no, you can't raise your hand. Optimistic or pessimistic? And as you think of 2022, where are you? If you're pessimistic, you're being influenced by circumstances and situations on earth. If you're optimistic, there's a good chance you're focused on God because there isn't a whole lot to be optimistic about, earthly speaking, right now. But if you're optimistic, which is what we should be, our focus is probably where it should be, on God and on his word. Unbelief, as we said earlier, causes us to be negative and pessimistic and always looking at the worst of things. Expectation causes us to be optimistic, and we're just waiting for God to move. And we're moving, and we're doing what he tells us to do, and we're praying together. See, if, if you're pessimistic, if the world, the flesh, and the devil has already gotten in there, and we're pessimistic, 
it's going to be very difficult to motivate ourselves to pray together. The people who are coming out to pray together and to gather together are optimistic because they're believing God's going to do something. Now, that's not a hard, fast rule, but that's something to think about. What are you as you think of 2022? Are you an O or are you a P? P. (laughs) Whatever. Justin's going to give his announcement and pray, and then we'll play. So when Pastor Help asked me to do my announcement at the end of the message, I wasn't 100% sure why, and now I understand why. God's being pretty clear right now. I don't think I've ever heard for years God emphasize praying together, gathering in prayer, constantly gathering, uniting in prayer more than what I just heard. I didn't know how this sermon was going to go. He's, he's yelling. He's loud. He's, he's being very, very clear. We've heard it. We've learned it. He's emphasizing it. Now we're going to have to do something about it. And what we can do is starting this week, starting on Wednesday, we can join together. We can gather in prayer. If we're going to get close to constantly, think about that, constantly gathered in prayer, we got to start by gathering in prayer. So this week we're going to have two opportunities to do that. Wednesday at 5.30 a.m., you guys know the time. Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. I mean, I don't know how much more clear he can be. I hear it so loud, you know. And um, so why don't you stand and I'm going to pray. And uh, join me and let's pray in agreement. Father, Thank you for this loud, clear message. Thank you for all that you've taught us over the years, opening our eyes to the importance of prayer, to the importance of gathering together to pray. And we want to be effective, Lord. We want to see your will brought about on the earth. We want to see your power the power of your Holy Spirit unleashed here on earth. And you're showing us exactly how to bring that about. You're using us, Lord, thank you. It's an honor that you've included us in your plan, not only included us, but you put a smack dab in the middle of it. You gave us instructions, you elaborated on that, you emphasized it, Lord, and we hear you. So Father, as you continue to shape us and change us and mold us and use us. Lord, give us what we need. Give us the strength. Give us boldness so that we can tweak and change and and learn to pray the way you designed it for us to pray to bring about your purposes here on the earth, Lord. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.